the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country tears me. Sweet land of liberty of Beyonce. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed. Good morning to you. Thanks for being with us. We are getting started now at 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this Thursday, the 28th morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. You know, yesterday I started our show talking briefly uh, and a little bit flippantly about masochism and about how many of these, because I, you know, I was telling you the story about the crime sprees that are just enveloping American cities and how almost all of these cities are left-wing Democrat-run cities with left-wing Democrat mayors and left-wing Democrat councils and left-wing Democrat prosecutors and so forth. And, uh, you know, it's because they're filled with left-wing Democrat voters. And it was just kind of pointing out that the crime continues to rise, so much so that businesses are being forced to close, so much so that businesses that close take, take jobs with them so people lose their jobs. And the people in those communities... According to a massive survey done by NBC, like the rest of America, believes that Republicans would do better on the crime issue and that they do do better than Democrats do. 
yet they keep voting for Democrats, and that's a form of masochism. You know they're hurting you, but you continue to do the same thing. That's self-harm. That's masochism. I started the show yesterday with that. Well, I'm here this morning to offer a little bit of confession and maybe even a little bit of contrition because I watched the GOTP debate last night. I, too, am guilty of masochism. Holy goodness. What an absolute mess. A hot, televised mess that was worse than the first one. You would have thought that they would have gotten the second one right just simply by watching what happened in the first one and saying, we're not going to let that happen again. Instead, they doubled down on stupid and held an even worse debate the second time around. The first time, at least you had two decent people, Brett Baer and Martha McCallum, trying to moderate a crowd of nine people on that stage and and trying to keep it all under control and get it moving forward. They did a lousy job. I said it then, and I'll say it now. They did a lousy job. They did a lousy job because they didn't control the debaters, and they did a lousy job because they didn't control the audience. This time around, the audience was not a factor. But Stuart Varney and Dana Perino and some Spanish-speaking Univision woman who couldn't, who could, was barely understandable with her very, very thick Hispanic accent or Spanish accent, whatever you want to call it. Her English was very, very difficult to follow. The three of them were ten times worse, even though the audience wasn't a factor. They couldn't control seven people on a stage, and worse off, they didn't want to. They didn't want to. They pitted them against one another with gotcha questions, and they gave Joe Biden a pass. Not one question for the would-be potentially the would-be president of the United States that is on that stage making his or her way through. Not one question about Build Back Better. Not one question about the Inflation Reduction Act. Not one question about the EV mandates and the damage they will do. Not one question about the economy and inflation and what middle-class Americans have are having to, to do to survive in Biden's America. They gave Joe Biden a huge pass, and instead they pitted each of the seven against one another with gotcha questions from one to the next. And I watched all two hours of it. I, I don't know how I made it through. I, I like to tell myself I watched this thing so that you didn't have to. Maybe that's why I did it. I suppose the real difference between a masochist and, and what I went through last night is masochists enjoy their pain. They they harm themselves because it makes them feel good. I harmed myself last night, and I didn't feel good at all. I felt awful, but I still put myself through it. So maybe there's some connections. Maybe there's some comparisons. But it was an absolute mess. I would like to give you winners and losers, but I probably can't. I don't know if anybody won. I know some people were more annoying than others. I know some people would not shut up when they're speaking 75 seconds after their 60-second bell rang. 
I know some people shrieked and, and did personal character attacks much more than others. I know some people tried to stay presidential-looking and got drowned out as a result of it. I know some people complained about whether or not $50,000 curtains were installed in a governor's mansion or whether they were left over or or, or an ambassador's office or something like that. I mean, we're talk- it was a mess. I feel no better about the Republican primary field today than I did before that thing happened yesterday. In fact, I might feel a little bit worse. And unless the dead weight gets off of the stage, the next one will be just as bad. Unless Burgum and uh, you know Pence and Christie, they need to get off the stage. They need to suspend their campaigns the way Hutchinson needs to and the way Suarez did already. They need to get out of the way, and we need to have a substantive, actual, policy-driven debate of the issues. And it needs to include the front runner. I was very, very disappointed that Donald Trump chose to miss the second debate as well. I hear a lot of people saying, well, what does he have to prove? He has a 40-point lead. He has a lot to prove. He has a 40-point lead thanks to his base, the base, that is only. You know how there are never-Trumpers and those people are repulsive? Well, there are also only Trumpers where they will not even vote if their guy isn't there and available. Only Trumpers. Only Trump can save this country. Everybody else, you might as well just die because Donald Trump is the only person who can save this country. That, that, those people are dangerous, too. The base of, of onlys have him with his 40 and 45-point leads. The indictments have given him his 40 and 45-point leads. We all know this. He does. He jokes about it. He said, one more indictment. I ought to have this thing pretty well locked up. He jokes about it. He knows every time there's an indictment because it's criminal what is being done to him, more and more people get angry and rally to his defense and to his side and say, I'm in. And I get it. I have real strong feelings about that myself. I want to just dive in and say, let's get him. Let's get him. I'm in with Trump. That's what I want to be. But I'm not there. Because he does need to debate, because he does have to answer questions. He is sounding very, very different than the guy who ran in 2016. And the guy who won in 2016. He even sounds different than the guy who lost in 2020. Or who had it stolen from him, which is what I will always believe until somebody changes my mind, and no one has been able to do that because of the evidence being so overwhelming of the theft of that election. But nonetheless, he has... He has changed in a lot of ways. His attacking of pro-life Americans and pro-life states like Ohio, that deserves an answer. Some of the things that he is saying and doing to conservatives, um, it, it's, it, it defies belief. COVID continues to be a major, major issue, and he continues to support uh, Operation Warp Speed and the jabs. I mean, there are a lot of things that I, I think people need to hear from Donald Trump about. Moreover, he has made a lot of very, very degrading and attacking remarks about his can- his uh, fellow candidates in this thing. Of course, he doesn't see them as fellow candidates. He sees them as little ants, you know, kind of swarming around a little anthill in the crack in his patio that he just needs to step on. They're not relevant. And some of those attacks deserve responses, not in the media, not on social media, but face-to-face, 
Let's talk this out. You said this about that person. Let's see what they say in response. He needs to do Let me put it to you another way. The way I put it on Facebook last night. President Trump's refusal to debate the other GOP candidates is every bit as cowardly as Joe Biden's refusal to debate Robert F. Kennedy, who's a declared Democrat candidate and who has way more support among the Democrat polls than anybody on the stage last night has against Donald Trump in the Republican polls. RFK was polling at around 20%. Think about that. Joe Biden has record low approval ratings. Kamala Harris has lower approval ratings than his. And here's a Democrat challenger ready to step up and say, let's go. And he won't debate. They won't even try to force him to debate. And that's cowardly. It's cowardly for the incumbent president, and it's cowardly for the former president. So I watched a a show last night that was absolutely painful. It was miserable. It was poorly run. It was poorly debated. And the worst part about it is the guy that needs to be on the debate stage wasn't. So, yeah. I was guilty of some self-harm last night. I was masochistic. I, With the exception of the enjoyment of it, because I didn't enjoy any of it, I watched the entire thing. I'm not going to declare a winner. I'm not going to declare a loser. All right, I might declare a loser because Chris Christie tried really, really hard and just fell so flat with his groaner of a joke. I mean, he was right to call out Trump for not being there, but it was just so bad, so awful. He said, you're ducking these debates, Donald. You keep doing that, we're going to start calling you Donald Duck. <laughs> and the, he was waiting for the pop from the crowd to be like, oh, did he? He went there. Instead, the crowd went, huh? Huh? <laughs> it was brutal. It was brutal. That might have been the cringiest moment of the uh, of the evening. But there was cringe from Mike Pence. There was cringe from Tim Scott. There was cringe from Vivek and Nikki Haley and their their battle. Those two just flat out hate each other. Um, if you want to talk about it, if you want to uh, exacerbate the moment uh, and the pain, uh, we'll do so at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. But as far as I'm concerned, you notice I on yesterday's program, I didn't talk about it. I didn't promote it. I did leading up to the first one because I was hopeful, and then I was terribly disappointed. This time, because I was so disappointed the first time, I didn't even talk about it and promote it. I didn't, didn't say, hey, tomorrow morning we'll have great reaction on the... I knew what was going to come, and last night I watched it to see if I was right, and I was, and it was brutal. It didn't help anybody. President Trump needed to be there. Uh, the moderators needed to go away. They, they were awful. They were absolutely awful. No control uh, the questions were not about what each of these individuals would do as a president, comparing themselves to Joe Biden. They made them attack one another. It was just a terrible, terrible night. All right, it's 922. I want to get a quick time out, but before we do that, I want to do a quick pledge. Patriots, stand. Face your flag. Put your hand on your heart and join us for this. If you are celebrating with Gavin Newsom about the blank show that the Fox Business Channel put on last night with the, an embarrassing performance by everybody involved, if you celebrate that because you are a left-wing Democrat, well, then don't pretend to like the flag or the country that it represents. You may instead take a knee over there next to that unemployed socialist quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation under god indivisible with liberty 
and justice for all. It is 923. Quick time out. we got a couple of guests we're going to talk about. You know one of them. One of them you do not. But we'll be back right after this on AM 1420 The Answer. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. Okay, 935, and uh, let's push that button to take that out of reverb for me. And uh, thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. That's much better. Thank you. If you've got comments on the debate last night, bear with me and stay with me. I want to pivot to uh, an interesting story with a local flavor because of the uh, fact that the Cleveland Indians have lost their name and their heritage and more. Uh, But this is about the Washington Commanders in principle. They are being sued, the Washington football team. I don't even call them commanders other than to read the article. I call them Redskins like I still call the Indians the Indians. But the uh, lawsuit has been filed by the Native American Guardians Association, which is interesting. They filed this lawsuit against the commanders slash Redskins after the team made allegedly defamatory comments attacking the association's integrity. The suit was filed Monday in the U.S. District Court of North Dakota, and it alleges the Washington football team has a monopoly on the narrative concerning Native American sentiment regarding the name change uh, which stripped uh, the club of the Redskins moniker. The NAGA, the National American Guardians Association, seeking $1.6 million in damages. They are demanding that the team name be returned. Um, like I said, I find that very interesting because there are a hell of a lot of Indians fans who refuse to call the Cleveland baseball team the Guardians, and they are also demanding that the name be returned. We all know, or most of us know, that the uh, Indians' name was um, was um, chosen uh, to honor Chief Louis Sakalexis. It is an actual Native American or a Native uh, American Indian, if you will. And uh, uh, the fact that his name and uh, the name was stripped from uh, the ball club is upsetting to a lot of fans. So we're joined now by the Midwest Director of NAGA, uh, the Na- Native American Guardians Association, Billy Deekman, to tell us more about this lawsuit and what the uh, what the real sentiment in the Native American community is. So, Billy, thank you for joining us this morning here in Cleveland, Ohio. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank Thank you for coming thank on. You. I appreciate it. Tell me who Absolutely. is. Tell me who is or what is the Native American Guardians Association? <clears throat> We're a group of individuals, kind of a grassroots effort that uh, didn't like the way things were heading uh, with the political correctness and the woke cancel culture uh, starting to call all the shots. Uh, we had we actually have defeated the uh, name change movement in the court of law twice uh, concerning the Redskins name. Uh, and it was kind of quiet for a while, but then it started sliding again after the George Floyd incident. And uh, Dan Snyder, uh, the former owner, uh, actually, even though we protected that name for uh, a couple decades, uh, it was very clear that uh, he was losing that battle. And the uh, his sponsorship turned on him. Uh, the whole culture turned on him. And he gave that he gave that name up. So with that goes a lot of history. Uh, and a lot of people that are really upset about it, uh, us, us included. So, uh, 
several people got together and started doing the research and trying to bulletproof the facts of, <clears throat> I love what you said earlier, nobody names their franchise after something that is despicable to them or that they do not respect. Yeah. <clears throat> and, nobody nobody uh, wants to name their tweet. franchise after something that would be mocked, that, you know, something that, you know, no. that, that people don't like. Um, tell me, you know, as we've gone through this for the last... I don't know, 20 years or so, it's really started to ramp up this movement to change the names. I mean, I know the University of Miami in Ohio named uh, went from Redskins to Red Hawks. I know there was um, a high school here in Northeast Ohio, Billy. Uh, Oberlin High School used to be the Oberlin Indians. They dropped Indians about, I don't know, 10 years ago and became the, uh, the Phoenix. I mean, there's been this big movement to end Native American names in the first place. And the biggest one, or one of the biggest offenders in the in the minds of those in the cancel culture who wanted to do this, was Redskins, because it's so blatant. Redskin, how dare you identify these people simply by the the appearance of their skin? This was so egregious to them. So tell me, why does Redskins mean so much to you and your tribe and to the NAGA? Well, unfortunately, that was very selective uh, uh, journalism. Uh, if I can call it that, uh, basically it's a hit piece uh, from the mainstream media for uh, over a decade now. Uh, fact is, the term Redskin, this is where Naga believes in the uh, our, our mission being, our mission is to reinstate Native themes, imagery, and history where it's been stripped, and to protect it where it stands. So the term Redskin has been absolutely demonized by the media, and that's all. That's the only narrative anybody's heard. Uh, fact is, Redskin has absolutely nothing to do with ethnicity. It has everything to do with the elite status symbol of warriors. Only the only the most elite warriors were allowed to participate in a blood root ceremony, uh, purification ceremony to paint their skin red for battle. Now that, that's the proven. That's the special forces, if you will, back in the day. So that status symbol of being a redskin and painting your skin red for battle and it wasn't just for natives there were there were there were other races involved in these battles that earned that title and able to become redskin warriors wow the imagery the imagery that the uh that the uh, redskins had on the side of the helmet is a real person that's not a mascot that is chief two guns white calf his family is devastated over the loss of this imagery. So we don't have a mascot. We're honoring a true redskin warrior. One of the dudes that, I mean, he was so badass that the the government celebrated this man. The government that really wanted to wipe out and, and eradicate Indians celebrated this man. So I had, um, along I with, had I'm sorry, continue, please. Oh, sorry, continue. Along with them uh, getting rid of the name and the imagery, they flush a hundred years worth of history away as well. So modern day eradication. We are uh, talking with uh, Billy Diekman. Uh, hey, Billy, I think I hear your radio on in the background there. Could you turn the radio down while we're chatting? It'll, it'll help us out a lot. Thank you. Um, Billy Diekman is the uh, Midwest director of NEGA, which is the Native American Guardians Association or NAGA. 
I I did hear that the uh, the image on the side of the helmet, the the logo, or the individual was a real person. I did not know who it was, but I was just today years old finding out that red skin meant that they put blood on their they faces when it was time for battle. That this was this was a a, a mark, a, a great honor to be able to to go into battle and and to fight for your tribe and to uh, you know and to defend your land and so forth. No one in the mainstream media has ever let that be known. Everybody assumed it was just describing their skin as being reddish in tint, and therefore it was racist to call them redskins. Yeah, like I said, that that was a very slanted narrative and inaccurate. So that's what we are fighting, and we are trying to get that out. And it's nice that uh, for the first time in decades, we're getting positive press. They're actually listening to the 90% voice, not the 10%. Well, there have been some well-funded uh, groups that uh, are trying to erase uh, the imagery. Uh, the National Congress of American Indians, for some reason, people fall for the name and think that maybe there's some kind of an authority and they're not they are funded by george soros who has been very instrumental in erasing and eradicating native themed schools from uh, the grade school up to the the college and pro levels okay so Billy, we're talking to Billy Diekman uh, with uh, with Naga, the Native American Garden Association. So you have this lawsuit against the Commanders football team, demanding money. According to the story I'm reading, one point six million dollars in damages. But the real the real demand you're making here is to change the name back. Is that right? Actually, the lawsuit is about the defamation of character for them uh, dismissing us and calling us. Uh, one of the uh, staff members actually. Uh, calling us a, a fake group. Uh, they didn't. They haven't reached out to us. They have not heard us. Well, they've heard us. <laughs> they definitely have heard us because the petition uh, that was launched uh, brought in over 100,000 signatures. So they had to take note. But they also uh, got a big call from the National Congress of American Indians, patting them on the back for refusing to return the name back to Redskins at this time. Okay, so, so there's the so there's a couple of elements there. Uh, the the us demanding the name back is because it was it was wrongfully stripped and it was stripped under false pretense and misinformation. We just we actually we're not angry with the uh, new ownership. We just want to reach out to them and be able to have a seat at the table and speak to them and talk to them and be able to educate them on exactly what's what. Okay. So I, I think I have it now, and if I misunderstood it, I do apologize. So you had this petition drive. You earned over 130,000 signatures to change the name back, uh, and, and, and your group organized this. So to dismiss you and your effectiveness in this, somebody within the organization called you a fake group and basically said you guys were not real. Is that And that's why you have this $1.6 million lawsuit for defamation. Yeah. Okay. So... Here's my question: um, Are are you pursuing both of those 
angles or those agendas right now, or is the uh, the name change something that is uh, that would uh, let me rephrase? Would changing the name back to Redskins make you drop the multi-million-dollar lawsuit or the one-point-six million-dollar lawsuit? Are you looking for the name more or for the money over defamation? Well, I re- I'm gonna have to take a stab at this because uh, this is something our legal advisors probably would be way better versed on. But uh, we are at, we Naga is more concerned with educating the new ownership in getting them reconnected to Native America. Mm-hmm. We're more interested in that than anything. The lawsuit was just a necessary step because they shut all avenues off and closed the, closed the doors as far as they were concerned with that ship has sailed. And now they so. have to recognize you. Now they have to to uh, to publicly acknowledge your existence. And in this lawsuit, now they have to talk about it. So you're right. That's a very very big part of this. And 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 you don't have to speak for the legal team. Just you know, I'm just kind of asking your opinion. If they if they agreed to switch sure. the name back to Redskins, would you just in your opinion be fine with dropping the lawsuit? Because that would be the goal of what you started with the petition drive in the first place. That's the decision. That's above my pay grade. But me personally, absolutely. Yes. If we can educate them and get that back, that's the goal. That's yeah. I mean, it's it's about it's about restoring what's been rightfully stolen and eradicated. And you know, the, our movement is actually way bigger than a team name anywhere. It's about protecting uh, Native culture and history and stopping the eradication of such. So, sports just happens to be a bridge to history. And so every single state in this United States has very, very deep Native American ties. And for that to just be erased because uh, a political movement has decided everything, the narrative in America right now is everything Native is racist, offensive, and must be erased. So in addition to what we've already uh, started with the Redskins, we actually did uh, start a petition for the Cleveland Indians as well, because that's just as wrong. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you about it. I, I do see uh, a little note in this article with NBC from NBC Montana that says Naga is also responsible for a similar petition calling for the Cleveland Guardians to restore their Indians mascot. There's only about 12,000 signatures on that one thus far. Um, and, and I'm curious because... The, this, in the same way that the media kind of declared that the Redskins mascot and name was racist just because of Redskin, they have also ridiculed not the name Indians as much as their mascot, which, of course, was, was Chief Wahoo. Now, I look at the picture of Chief um, uh, uh, Two Guns White Calf, and I see honor, and I see stoicism, and I see, you know, just a just a you know a, a respected leader uh, in that logo. In fact, Seth just showed me a picture of Chief White Whitecalf um, uh, that looks like it was the one where he posed essentially for what would end up on the side of the Redskins helmet. So he's he's depicted in a very I think a very honorable way, but of course, Chief Wahoo is more of a caricature. It's more of a cartoon. So, do you guys, as you know, Naga, do you, do you see them the same? Why would you, or tell me, tell me why both of these would be something you would be interested in uh, returning? 
if you put 10 people in a room, you cannot get all 10 of them to agree on any one thing. So when I say this, I speak strictly as myself uh, because other natives have their opinion, and I want to respect those opinions, even if it isn't the same as mine. But I personally feel what is wrong with Chief Wahoo. Uh, why are we not allowed to have animation? Everybody else has. I mean, no, nobody looks at Elmer Fudd and says, well, that's what all white people are like. You know, so I just like, why can't, why isn't there allowed to be fun? Why isn't there allowed to be uh, this light spirit? I absolutely love the image of Chief Wahoo. I personally have a giant necklace that I wear when I feel like it. And I have, uh, I have his uh, patch going onto my Indian's uh baseball jersey so i love it and i don't i just i can't stand that there's all these uh restrictions on our on our heritage from outside forces saying well they can't have that they can't have this they can't have that they need to stay poor out of sight and dependent on the government well you are outraging right now the radical left cancel culture because you are bringing Uh, reason and common Good. sense to a discussion that they, you see, the mindset of these people, and I think you probably know this, Billy, the mindset of these people is we, the educated white liberals of America, need to tell the minorities when they're being offended and when they're not, because they they're, they're not smart enough to know themselves when they're being offended, so we have to stand up for them. That's what they think. That's why they look at that cartoon of of uh, of 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 a you know Chief Wahoo, and they see that as well. That is completely denigrating Native Americans. They just don't know it, which is why we have to fight their fights for them. Then a guy like you and a group like yours comes up and says, "No, you don't, because we know what cartoons and animation is." And you saying what you just said is very different than me saying it, and I have said it. I have pointed to all of the white doofus types of cartoon characters that are considered beloved, like Homer Simpson and Peter Griffin. You just mentioned Elmer Fudd. You know, these white characters who are allowed to be animated to be completely embarrassing, those are okay, but you have an animated Native American, and, well, we have to stand up and protect these people from the defamation that they're suffering here that they don't even understand. Well, there's a reason why they're sleeping. I'm preparing for battle. I love that. I love that. And I and I love what you're doing now. Last question for you, Billy Diekman of Naga. Um, the Washington commanders are issuing statements saying there is no way they're not even considering going back uh, to the to the Redskins moniker. As a matter of fact, because of the woke cancel culture that you referenced at the beginning of our conversation all across the country, I can't imagine the National Football League would ever go back to it, even though... What you just said is factually accurate about uh, uh, Chief uh, uh, Whitecalf, Two Guns Whitecalf. Um, they're not going to do it because the perception is still going to be that the logo is racist and that the name Redskins is racist. I cannot see the the woke NFL ever caving in on this. So considering that they won't, what's your next step? Our number one goal is still going to be able to is going to be uh, getting a seat at the table and actually speaking to the new ownership. If we can show them the facts and the figures that have stood up in the court of law and educate them, 
maybe they could advocate for their own their own team and their franchise and be able to stand up to the NFL because the NFL, if you're going to put Black Lives Matters on your on your field and uh, then turn around and take away our identity. What what are you really accomplishing? Are you are you're fighting racism by eradicating, by praising one race and uh, eradicating another? That's, the NFL is backwards on this, and it would it would take uh, a group like the Josh Harris group to be able to stand up to the NFL and say, "Hey, look, this only makes sense. Give it back." Because right now the NFL has zero problems with the Buffalo Bill the Buffalo Bills team and their helmet. They used to be the Buffalo All-American. They changed their name to honor the Buffalo Bill Cody. And if you look at their helmet, the side on the side of that uh, on the side of their helmet, that Buffalo has a blood stripe coming off of it. That's a slap in the face to every Native American in the country. That's a great That's a slap point. to history and the NFL seems to have zero problem with that. So and we could also point out you? we could also point out the double standard because the Kansas City Chiefs are just fine, and the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tomahawk Chop and everything that they do is considered just well, fine. Well, the, the the Naga Naga has worked with the Kansas City Chiefs and helped them reconnect with local tribal leadership. They're safe. I mean, we 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 don't want that erased. No, no, I don't, I don't think they should. I think, but but I think because they are willing to let the you know the Chiefs you know exist and and the Buffalo Bills and and many of the other things, then let the Redskins and let Chief uh, the Chief uh, uh, come back and and be and be returned to the position of honor and 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 also recognition and and history and the legacy of him and his tribe and uh, and and all of the Native American uh, history that you talk about. Let that come back as well, uh, Billy Deacon. The uh, Midwest Director of NAGA, the Native American Guardians Association, thank you for sharing the story with us. Uh, thank you for including the Indians here in Cleveland in this uh, in this fight as well. But I certainly wish you the very best in what is no doubt going to be an uphill climb against the powerful NFL uh, in restoring that history. Uh, thank you so much for telling the story, Billy. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. God, God bless you. 9.56. Time out now. News after that. Dr. Everett Piper after that. And then... We will uh, take your phone calls. You want to react to this? And I suspect you will. Stay here. Always Right Radio. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer. Is your host, Bob France. All right, hour number two now, underway at eight minutes past 10 o'clock. Thank you again to Billy Deakman for uh, bringing us the story of the NAGA, and I hope they are successful. I have very, very, very little belief uh, that they will be, but I can hope for them and maybe even say a prayer for them. It's very important to them. It's, a, it's an amazing story. I did not know the part about the blood red uh, face paint. I mean, I know about the used to do face paint, but uh, the fact that the blood red and the red on the skin was a very big difference uh, in their culture. So thank you to Billy for that. Um, 
We'll get back to your phone calls, and I know people want to talk about that, and they want to talk about the debate last night, but it is Thursday, and you know what that means. That means it's time for our good friend, Dr. Everett Piper, to take us through some of the culture wars that we continue to be drawn into uh, in our society. Dr. Piper is a former university president. He's a weekly, twice-weekly columnist for the Washington Times. He is also a podcast radio host called The Rebellion. He's a best-selling author and a county commissioner in Osage County, Oklahoma. Dr. Piper, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me on, Bob. It's always a pleasure. So before we get into your articles, which we always make the source of our our, our conversation, uh, the subject of our subject of our conversation, did you did you join me in the masochistic um, behavior that I and I uh, that I engaged in last <laughs> night and watched that debate? I actually um, I didn't watch it. Uh, the explanation or excuse there is uh, we no longer have any network. Uh, we're 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 solely, solely prime. Uh, and uh, and uh, PBS and whatnot. So I, di- I didn't watch it live, but I got up this morning immediately and started reading some of the reviews and various different opinions on the debate. So I think I'm ready to engage with you, but I have to be honest, I didn't watch it. Well, you have a pretty good reason for not watching, and it has nothing to do with not having the ability to. It has everything to do with reason and common sense. You're smart. Uh, <laughs> I was too stupid to, <laughs> to stay away from it. I have it on my screen, and I watched all two hours of it. I told myself, I'm doing this for the listeners. I'm doing this for the listeners. I have to be able to give them some analysis of what happened last night. But, boy, it was painful uh, the entire way through. In my estimation, it was a circular firing squad, and I just tweeted moments before you came on the air in this last news break that um, I think the real winner last night in that circular firing squad was Joe Biden, because Joe Biden was essentially let off the hook for virtually everything. No discussion of inflation, no reasonable discussion of the economy, everything that he has been responsible for, uh, you know, other than the border, and even then it was just kind of tangential in the, uh, tangential in the uh, uh, referencing that it was his fault that the border was so, uh, is so uh, porous right now and all of the danger that that leads to. Joe Biden escaped pretty much without a scratch when you had seven people on stage who should have been training their focus on him. You know, the reviews I was reading, uh, several people agree with you. Uh, you know, everybody said as, as you line up, almost everybody that I read said as you line up the seven that were there, DeSantis probably prevailed among seven. But Biden, Bidenomics was not addressed. Uh, the, his, his terrible record on individual liberty, uh, religious freedom, academic freedom, uh, freedom uh, with regard to COVID uh, policies and procedures. It, everybody's silent. I mean, you've got one of the worst presidents in the history of the nation, if not the worst, who can't find his shoes in the morning, and these people are ignoring that. I mean, who's their advisor? What, where's the political wisdom in ignoring your true enemy? I just don't get it. Yeah, I, I concur. Um, you know, And I do understand that the goal of a primary debate is to separate yourself from the other contenders and so forth to try to make headway toward winning a nomination. But considering the fact that the lead nominee or the lead uh, uh, dog in this pack, you know, by 40 points, it doesn't even have enough respect for the voters to show up and be a part of it. If they're not, if he's not going to do that and they can't make headway toward the nomination by actually debating the man in charge, then, then focus your attention on the other party. Focus your attention on the incumbent president that has led us to some just absolutely disastrous conditions in the state in the state of the united or in the united states of america right now and and i'm disappointed i mean I've, I've been supportive of desantis as you know i've mentioned it on your show a couple different times i think he's done a fantastic job as a governor of florida and i'd love for that type of leadership to be 
in the White House. But his his candidacy has been lacking because he fails to do exactly what you just described. Would you please demonstrate that strength and that obstinance, that stubborn spirit that you've shown in Florida, and direct it toward Joe Biden? Please, please do that. I don't understand why they don't. A shame on the political advisors and managers that are trying to control these guys and 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 one woman uh, toward a different uh, objective. But shame on them for not defying their advisors and saying, hey, go pound sand. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be myself. And people are either going to like me or not like me, vote for me or not vote for me based on what I've done in Florida or in the or, or in the Senate or, or as a governor or whatever, whatever their status is. I think that's one of the reasons people like Ramaswamy, and I, I wouldn't vote for the man. I, I think there's a lot of stuff in his closet that needs to be vetted, but he's coming across as apolitical in the sense that he's not allow, allowing people to handle him and tell him what to do. Yeah, that's very true. Um, I, I might disagree slightly with DeSantis, the governor of Florida. Um, he does need to spotlight his record, certainly, because it's stellar, uh, and it resulted in a mind-blowing uh, victory as uh, in, in, in his re-election fight. Uh, just massive, massive victory. Um, but I think he needs to focus his attention more on Donald Trump because Donald Trump has been attacking him for nearly 12 months um, because he knew he was really the only real potential threat against him in this whole thing, and he has been attacking him mercilessly. He's been lying about him. He's been sending uh, surrogates like Kerry Lake out there to lie about him, uh, and, and I think it's hurt his campaign. Big time. I think he has dropped in the polls because so much of that is landing, and he's not fighting back because he's afraid of alienating the Trump voters he would need were he to be successful. So he doesn't want to actually yep. attack Trump back, and I think it's hurt him. And I think last night we saw for the first time uh, you know, an effort by DeSantis to actually return fire. He challenged Trump for not being there, and uh, he actually challenged him to a one-on-one debate in the spin room afterwards, saying, since you don't want to come up here and debate all of these people, let's go one-on-one. I think he needs to do more of that if he wants, if he has any chance whatsoever of closing that gap. I agree. You know what? What the analogy that I would use between Trump and DeSantis right now, it's like the bully, okay, down on the beach, and he keeps kicking sand in the eyes of this this kid, and the kid doesn't do anything. Everybody's rooting for the kid to step to the plate and punch the bully in the nose. That's when everybody that's watching this particular kerfuffle is going to say, good for the kid, good for the kid for finally standing up to the bully who's been kicking sand in his eyes and giving him, a, giving him the roundhouse right to the nose. I don't think he's got anything to lose by doing that, but you're absolutely right. All of his advisors are saying, don't take on Trump, don't criticize Trump, because you'll alienate all of the voters that are supporting Trump right now. They're forgetting the fact that people support Trump because Trump did exactly that. He kicked, he he punched the boy. He punched Washington D.C. He took on the swamp and said, you know, basically screw all you guys. I don't care what you think. And everybody uh, appreciates that. DeSantis needs to do the same, but he needs to do it to Trump right now. Yeah, and and I think I think the reason he's being advised the way he is uh, is is. Because it, it may already be a fait accompli that, that Trump is going to be the nominee here, and Ron DeSantis is now looking to 2028, or at least he needs to be. And if you take on, you know, MAGA, if you, if you take on millions and millions of only Trumpers, they will never forget this. Trump, Trump is term, even if he were to win, He's term limited by one term, and obviously, if he doesn't win, Biden will be will be up. Uh, and and if the intention is to make another run at it in twenty twenty eight, they will never forget if he attacks Trump too harsh in twenty twenty four. 
Maybe so, but uh, all that assumes we're going to have a country and a, and a constitutional republic in 2028. And frankly, if Fair we enough. don't uh, if we don't win this one, we're in trouble. Fair enough. A very very good point, Doctor Piper. Let's turn our attention to C.S. Lewis. Now, you spent a great deal of time in this week's column, uh, this this past Saturday's column, talking about big questions and big answers. We're big on the questions. Not too many people want the answers, though. And uh, I, I love the. Re- I mean, obviously, almost the entire column was was referencing some of the wisdom of C.S. Lewis. But tell us why people don't want the real answers. Well, we live in a postmodern culture where your opinion trumps. Uh, the facts. Uh, it's the exact opposite of Ben Shapiro's axiom where he says the facts don't care about your feelings. Well, we live in a culture where the feelings don't care about any of the facts. And we see that in this discussion of life, you know, who defines it, who has the right to give it and take it. Cl- climate change. Do we care about the facts, the scientific facts of a discussion of climate, or are we going to allow politically motivated agendas to prevail when we're talking about the weather? How about sexuality? When we talk about sexuality, do we care about what's healthy? I mean, we ignore the fact that over 20% of millennial-aged women have an STD. That's not good for them. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're an atheist, you should agree that the scientific facts as it relates to sexuality play to the advantage of the conservative traditional argument, just in the terms of physical health and what's good for your family, for your, for your soul, and for society. And then this whole argument of tolerance. And nobody believes in tolerance because those that claim to believe in tolerance are the most intolerant people among us right now. They actually say, I can't tolerate your intolerance. Well, do we want to challenge the logical fallacy of taking that position? And then this whole argument of justice. Uh, we hear it all the time. But if you're arguing that justice is important, but yet you're embracing Black Lives Matter or critical theory, which are which both of those arguments are grounded in neo-Marxism. Are you really going to tell me that a worldview that has led to over 100 million people being executed in the last century alone, are you going to tell me that that's a just worldview? And Lewis shines a light on this because he, he, he predicted it. He's one of my favorite authors, obviously. I cite him all, almost all the time on your show. Two of his great books were The Abolition of Man and The Great Divorce. And in both of these books, he predicts all of this stuff. And he actually said, here's one of his great seminal quotes, that we're going to become men without chests. What does he mean by that? He means that we are people without, with nothing but a cavity, a gap, a vacuum in our soul. We have no heart. We have no character. We are men without chest because we've given over ourselves to opinions and feelings rather than recognizing there are some immutable, unchangeable realities of life that are given to us by God and not by government or not even by our own selves and our feelings and our opinions. I've said over and over again one of the most controversial things I've ever said to immediate members of my family. At times I say, I don't care about your feelings. I don't care about your opinions right now. What we need to talk about is the facts, are the facts, the reality of life. Don't be coming to me and whining about your opinions and your feelings. Come to me if you want to have a debate with facts in hand. But that sounds offensive to our culture today because we've been so brainwashed. We've we've imbibed the Kool-Aid of post-modernity where we elevate ourselves over reality. We elevate our feelings. We're narcissists. We're narcissists. We're staring at our own image, and we come become infatuated with it to the point we ignore reality. 
Yeah, that's very well said. And, and, and I love your quote as well as even though you incorporated C.S. Lewis's when you say, so I ask again, do we want answers or are we more interested in what seems modern and successful, seeking good marks and saying the kind of things that win applause? Yeah, if the answers uh, do not win applause, then we don't want them. We are just going to repeat the same drivel again and again. It's a great piece. People should read this. Uh, Obviously, you can find it at the Washington Times website, linked to uh, Dr. Piper's Twitter feed, of course, which is Everett Piper, Dr. Dr. Everett Piper uh, on Twitter. We'll take a time out here. We'll come back and talk about your Ask Dr. E column, and this is a tough one as we continue to fight the sexuality wars or the sexual orientation wars, if you will, uh, as a part of the larger culture wars in the United States. Dr. Dr. Piper will tackle that next. All right, we know what's going on in schools And online, the overt sexualization of children and attempt to indoctrinate them into an alternative lifestyle, whether it be uh, part of the LGBTQ community or not, uh, is, I guess, a matter of perspective, depending on where you are. But Dr. Everett Piper, um, you were asked a question uh, on the Ask Dr. E column, I should say, about homosexuality and Christianity. Dr. E, dear Dr. E, I was at a church camp today in upstate New York, or I'm sorry, yeah, well, it says recently, in upstate New York recently, and I had someone criticize me for suggesting that an active homosexual or transgender person cannot be a Christian. How do you think I should respond? Faithful believer who's trying to hold the line. Dr. Piper, give us a summary of your response. Well, as you know, frankly, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. When we're talking about who a Christian is or isn't, and what the definition of Christianity is, we don't get to make it up. So again, I'll go back to my earlier commentary. Our feelings and our opinions on this matter really don't matter. What matters is what the Bible says, because the Bible defines our Christianity. I mean, Augustine, we've got the history here in various different sectors of the Church, Augustine himself said that the Bible is, uh, the, Lewis said the Bible is the measuring rod outside of those things being measured. Uh, St. Paul said all Scripture is inspired by God, and Augustine said, I'm trying to find that quote right now, he said the Bible is holy and truthful and blameless. And then Jesus himself, you know, puts an exclamation point on this whole thing by saying not an iota or a dot will pass from the law of the Bible until all heaven and earth shall pass away. So we need to recognize that the scholars and the saints of history of the Church have said the Bible is the authority here, and Jesus said the Bible is the authority here. So when we're answering questions, whether it be on homosexuality or anything else for that matter, our opinion doesn't matter. We need to go to the Bible. So In the rest of my column, Bob, as you know, I go to what the Bible says, and I quote St. Paul and how he said that um, to the Church in Rome, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then Paul goes on and says, those who exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural ones, whether they be men or women, are futile in their thinking and God gives them up to the lust of their hearts and the debased mind. Now, does that sound like like a, like a Paul is describing a Christian when he says that? I would argue no. He, and if, if we miss his point, he says, 
because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God. They are filled with deceit and malice and are proud and boastful and inventors of evil, and the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Well, a lot of people in the side B Christianity and the woke Christian movement will say, well, Paul was a homophobe. That's just Paul. Well, that's not true. Go and read the epistles of Peter. Peter says, St. Peter says, I urge you to abstain from what? Passions of the flesh. And he says, Jesus bore our sins that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. Peter goes on and describes sexual immorality as being akin to blaspheming God. And it, so Peter's very clear, and Jude is even more clear. St. Jude comes in and says, so for certain people have crept in who pervert the grace of God into sensuality. These people blaspheme all that they do not understand. Jude goes on and condemns sexual immorality. He uses the Greek word pornea, which does include homosexuality within that umbrella of sexual uh, unacceptable acts and behaviors. And then there's this claim that, well, Paul said it, and well, maybe you got a point, Peter and Jude said it, but Jesus never addresses the issue. Hogwash! That's not true. Go to the book of Revelation, where Jesus describes himself as the Alpha and the Omega, the bright and morning star, the beginning and the end, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God. This is Jesus, the second person of the triune God. Jesus is divine. <laughs> He's God himself. And Jesus leaves no doubt in the book of Revelation that he has an opinion on this. He says, I have a few things against you, that you practice what? Pornea, sexual immorality, and that you tolerate the seducing of my servants who practice sexual immorality. And then he, <laughs> this is, I mean, if it weren't Jesus saying this, I'd probably be banned from even your radio station. <laughs> he says this, outside are the dogs, those who practice pornea, sexual immorality and deception. So it's pretty clear what the Bible says on this. Can you be a Christian and define yourself by your sins? No. We are to confess our sins, not celebrate them. There's no such thing as hyphenated Christianity, that you're a gay Christian or a homosexual Christian or a trans Christian. There's nothing in the Bible that says we hyphenate our identity in Christ with our favorite sins. We are to be transformed, not transgendered. We are to be born again and stop celebrating and be too easily satisfied with being born that way. Dr. Everett Piper laying it all out. That's a tremendous summary and uh, obviously a lot of great quotes. Perhaps we can pick that up a little bit next week because I don't have any chance to follow up on some of the things that you said uh, and underscore them uh, and even question them. So maybe we'll pick this up next week. But Dr. Piper, terrific job as always. Thank you so much for what you bring to our conversation. We'll talk to you soon. All right, bless you. Bye-bye. 10.30 now on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. We're guest-free the rest of the way. So for the next hour and 15 minutes, let's hit it. Uh, You watched it last night, or if you did or you didn't, you heard the interview I did with uh, uh, Billy Deakman earlier on. You just heard this interview. If if there's anything that has struck you, or, and I know we left the phone lines full yesterday again over the UAW situation, you want to get involved, this is a chance to do it. 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Always Right Radio. Right back. Life. Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Always right radio with Bob France on the answer. 
Okay, 1035. Thanks for being with us. So we had some debate-ish things happening last night. I still think it was a joke. It was an absolutely horrifically planned event. It was horrifically executed by the Fox business people. I think the best thing I saw on my TV screen last night as it pertained to that debate was the Ronald Reagan uh, uh, um Library. It was it was unbelievable. That Air Force One was right there in the, and that event was held right inside that hangar, if you will. The imagery was just beautiful. The clips of Reagan speaking that they used coming in and out of breaks were were wonderful. It was a reminder of what what greatness really looked like. That was about the only thing that the Fox people did right. The location and the Reagan clips. Everything else was a mess. That doesn't mean everybody on the stage stunk. But the entire format was awful. Everybody talking over one another. People not respecting the bell. Only one or two people actually respected the bell and kept their comments confined to the time that they were allowed. Just an absolute blank show. So I gave my analysis of this whole thing in the first half hour. If you heard it and you want to talk more about it, we'll do it at 216-901-0945, We also had a great interview last hour, if you missed it. Um, Billy uh, Diekman is the uh, Midwest director of NAGA, which is the Native American Guardians Association, and they're suing to get the uh, name back for the Washington Redskins, saying it is absolutely not a racial slur to call someone a redskin. A redskin is not about the actual tint or the hue of uh, of the people, uh, you know, of, of that race, you know, of their skin. It's about the blood red paint that they put on their faces or the actual blood that they smeared on their faces before they went into battle. If you were enough of a warrior to be able to be a red skin uh, warrior, that is like the highest honor. And also the logo on the helmet, if you missed this conversation, I just wanted to recap it for you. The logo on the helmet of a stoic-looking uh, Native American chief is not just a generic logo; it's a real person. It's a it's a real individual that was uh, that was chosen for this. His name is Chief uh, Two Guns White Calf, uh, and he was a again. And I'll just read something that Seth shared with me. Chief Two Guns White Calf. Every time they would go out on the field, they were honoring Chief White Calf, and they were battling. Uh, on the football field with the same honor and integrity and courage. They need to continue to honor that. That's a statement made in the lawsuit, uh, giving a little bit of history, a history lesson there, too. And sure enough, there's a picture, an actual picture of Chief Whitecalf that looks exactly like the logo that was on the side of that helmet. Born near Fort Benton, Montana, adopted son, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But the point is, uh, they're fighting hard. And in that, by the way, they also found out, or I also found out that the NAGA, the Native American Guardians Association, is fighting with a petition drive to restore the name Cleveland Indians to the quote-unquote Guardians franchise, including uh, Chief Wahoo. And I'm going to say something here before I go to calls to, to follow up on something I had to gloss over because of time in the interview. He mentioned when I said, you know, don't you, paraphrasing here, don't you find a difference between the red skin stoic logo on the side of their helmet and then the cartoonish caricature of Chief Wahoo that uh, offends so many people in baseball? And he said, no. What? Why on earth can we not have animated characters and, and cartoon characters of us, but every other race can? And it's so true, particularly the white race. The white race is mocked. 
Do you, did you ever notice what happened to the Simpsons? I've been a Simpsons fan since their first episode way back on the Tracy Ullman show, and I want to say it was back around 1984, 5, somewhere in that neighborhood. And I watched the Simpsons, Simpsons and their characters are caricatures. Homer Simpson is the big, dumb, middle-aged, slob, white guy. Um, they had a 7-Eleven worker or a Quickie Mart worker or owner named Apu, who is an Indian-American caricature. They have a, a, a groundskeeper at the school who is a Scotsman, and they make fun of everything Scottish with groundskeeper Willie because he's Scottish and therefore white. They have a hilljack and a hilljack family, Cletus and his family of rednecks or hilljacks or whatever, or just dumb white guys, and, and, and I can't even act out any of the scenes for you. You've got to understand the, the point, and if you've seen it, you know. They decided when wokeness started to explode several years ago that uh, something had to change, because boy, oh boy, that brown-skinned Apu character on The Simpsons um, he was a racial stereotype of Indian Americans. And you know, anything that is potentially offensive to black and or brown must be uh, canceled. So they got rid of the Apu character. They didn't get rid of white Hilljack Cletus. They didn't get rid of white doofus Homer. They didn't get, get rid of white Scottish Willie, the uh, groundskeeper. But only certain individuals based upon what white liberals think that people in quote-unquote marginalized communities should be offended by, as I said to, uh, to the guest. Same thing over on, on uh, uh, Family Guy. Anybody watches that? It's a cartoon, just like Chief Wahoo's a cartoon. The, the protagonist and the, 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 you know, the main character is Peter Griffin, who's bigger and dumber and fatter than even Homer. And that's absolutely fine. Absolutely fine. You cannot make fun of people based on their status in protected classes. And again, not even make fun of, but animate or have a caricature of one made. You know, he mentioned in my guest, Elmer Fudd, since we're talking about Chief Wahoo and the Indian character, Elmer Fudd, dumb (laughs) white guy trying to chase a rabbit and always blowing himself up or shooting himself in the face. That's okay. If that character was dark-skinned or was an ethnic uh, minority of any kind whatsoever, that would be gone, too. How do we know that? Because try to find a, a Looney Tunes cartoon, and they're still on in places. Try to find a Looney Tunes cartoon from the 70s and 80s in which the uh, cowboy Indian motif was featured. The Indian, the, you know, the long-nosed Indian on the back of the horse, de-doop-de-dooping his way and shooting his arrow into the back of his horse's head until the horse body slams him. The, 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 the caricature of the Indian, nope, can't have that. But Yosemite Sam can blow himself up and dumb his way into another... Stu- it's, if, it's just such a double standard. And so I was really glad to hear the Native Americans, because like I said before, if I point these things out, it carries no weight whatsoever. If a Native American organization like NAGA points these things out, the double standard and how unfair it is, maybe, just maybe it carries a little bit more weight. All right. I'm done. 216-901-0945. Tanya has been waiting in Akron since the first hour. Tanya, thank you for uh, hanging in. You're on the air. Fire away. Yeah, I thought that the debate was a clown show. But I think all of these debates are a clown show. You know, my whole preference, a debate should be between two people. 
you know, maybe they need to you set it up as the first and the second person have a half hour to go against each other, the third and the fourth person have a chance to go against each other. So you can have find out what the real differences are between these candidates and you can get down to the nitty-gritty and they don't have to be trying to impress each other trying to knock out someone like a bowling ball. This is ridiculous. Well, I, I don't think around. they could do, Tanya, I don't think they could do a series of one-on-ones, but, you know, what they did in 2016, I, mean, it's, I thought, it's not worked a well. Which is, they, have, they have two hours. The same yeah, I know, I know, I know, but, it, but, it, but, but the point is, that if you go one-on-one, you leave out an opportunity for one to actually talk about somebody who they're not debating at that time that they have a more important difference with. Um, what they did in 2016, I thought worked well, where they had, um, you know, the first tier, the high, you know, like the eight or nine or whatever highest people polling uh, on one night. And then they had the second tier, the lower polling on the second night. So it made it a little smaller. And then, of course, they started to whittle themselves down. But you can do a multi-candidate debate if you know what you're doing. And clearly, Fox does not know how to run it. They have no ability to keep these people under control. They shout over them. They shout over the moderators. They cross over the bell time. They interrupt individuals when it's their time. I remember at one point they said, you have 30 seconds to respond. And 10 seconds in, Nikki Haley was shrieking over top of the person in their 30 seconds. And I think if they actually establish some ground rules like this, if you go over your time, you forfeit your next 30 seconds. If you interrupt somebody else in their time, you forfeit your next 30 seconds. I Watch and see how quickly they fall into line if they don't get to talk anymore. So I just think there has to be some sort of a control of it. And they're just what? And moreover, Tanya, um, they need to ask questions that are more substantive for the American people. Why didn't they ask any questions about Biden, about Bidenflation, about Bidenomics, about the disaster that so many of our personal bank account accounts are now because of decisions made by Joe Biden about gas prices? They did. They left Joe Biden off the hook completely, and they set it up so these people would just attack one another, and that's a huge problem too. I'm sorry to take up some of your time, but go ahead. Yeah, well, all of that is true, but uh, also. Fox, you know, we thought that Fox was going to be a good representative of the Republican, of the conservative point of view in their debate. Fox is sold out. This was probably one of the worst, uh, worst two debates I've seen in a long time. And um, Nikki Haley, Hunt, uh, Christie, they're all rhinos. And it's just, you know, it's infuriating me. My question, one of my questions would have been, since they were all supposed to be Republicans, is what is your opinion of what happened to A.G. Paxton in Texas, being that so-called Republicans ganged up with Democrats to impeach him? Yeah. Same thing that happened in Ohio. I I want someone talking about that because I think that is how they're going to cut us off at the knees. They're going to take they're going to take our elected officials and they're going to try impeaching them on the state level. So we lose all our games. And, and it's uh, I just that's those are just my opinions. You know, Ukraine, yeah. they need to talk about more about that. And when they started talking about that, the neocons just started hollering. You're not basically you're not an American. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, we do know what we're talking about, you know, between, you know, um, 
you know, the short, the shrinkage you talked about yesterday, almost uh, the same amount as the what we're seeing in Ukraine. Both of them are theft. One is yes, just happening. Both of them are happening at home. One we can see because they're taking material goods from us. The other one we know they're doing it, but it's in paperwork so much that we will never know how much they really stole from us. And who it's going to? Well, they even they even lied in the question about that when they when they brought up the Ukraine question to the to the uh, panel or to the candidates. They said so far the price tag has been seventy six billion dollars. They're off by forty billion dollars. It's a hundred and thirteen. Yeah, it's $113 billion so far and counting, so they tried to undersell that as well. And did you notice how many of the people on the stage, including and especially Nikki Haley, who thinks she knows everything that there is to know about foreign relations, and I know she was the ambassador to the U.N., so she knows some. But, uh, and but quit, they started, and quit. And quit, yes, she did. But there are, I mean, it's amazing how many of them are right in line with the we must fund Ukraine rather than our own border. It, it blew my mind. Ron DeSantis was asked the first question. He knew what he was going to say was going to get attacked, but he said the right thing. We have to take care of our own border first before we can worry about any other people's border or anybody else. Uh, and I agreed with DeSantis, and I've been t- talking about this all week long, how I'm done. Not another nickel to Ukraine as we are being invaded by more foreigners than Ukraine is. And the, the, only, the only difference being in the, in the Russian army, they're all wearing the same uniform. If, if the six million people who have crossed this border illegally since Biden was inaugurated were all wearing the same, uh, you know, from the same country or wearing the same uniform, we would call it an invasion and we would, we would build walls and moats and fences and barbed wire and alligators and everything else we would to protect it if they were all from one country. But because they're spread out from 160, 170 countries, suddenly we're supposed to just say, no, let them come in. That's crap. But one uh, thing one thing I want to tell you about that is that Ukraine was really smart enough when they're 16, they're 18 year olds, 18 and the men of 18 years of older were trying to leave the country they turned them away we're so stupid we're letting fighting men that are leaving their own country 18 and older come into our country and eventually this is an army that can fight against us on our homeland so when they kept talking about well we don't want them to come here fighting us on our homeland like but you're letting them in how stupid is that yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. They're doing it. They're doing it as we speak. And military age fighting males are the number one demographic of people that are coming in. Males, military, uh, military age, uh, of, of military age are the number one demographic. It's not little kids and it's not old people and it's not women. It is, it is, uh, it is military aged males that are the number one demographic of all these people coming in. Tanya, thank you for the call. I appreciate it as always. 216 Sally and Berea. Hi, Sally. Go ahead. Uh, I I hate it when they talk over each other and, and the timelines aren't um, adhered to. But what I wanted was better questions, as you mentioned. Just the things that um, Biden has thrown us into catastrophic crises. And I wanted to hear how they were going to turn around some of the immigration policies that have um totally obliterated our any sovereignty that we could have had at the border how he sabotaged our uh energy availability while yep. increasing 
uh, demands on electricity by wanting all these EVs and, and other things, and how they're going to turn around this horrible inflation that puts the poor and persons on limited income unable to uh, meet their daily obligations. That's what I wanted to hear, and I didn't hear much of it. Thank yeah, you. there was one question. Thank you, Sally, for the call. Uh, there was one question where maybe it was a question or maybe it was an answer now. I'm trying to remember um, in which they talked about a person going to the grocery store and um, filling their basket and then getting to the checkout line. And actually, no, maybe maybe this wasn't one of them. I, I watched a lot of the coverage of it, too. Maybe this, maybe this was an onlooker, you know, a member of the audience. But it talked about, for the first time, I have had to, while my groceries are being checked out, I have to take things out of my cart because I cannot afford them because I did not know exactly how high the bill was going to be. And so I have to take things out and make uh, strategic decisions at the checkout line. Those are real-life middle America, middle-class America uh, problems. It's And it's not isolated. These are not one-offs. These are not you know uh, occasional. This is what people all across America are dealing with. I guarantee it. I know everybody I know, when everybody everybody with whom I socialize, we talk about it, about what that grocery cart costs now compared to what it cost before. And of course, so much of that has to do with the cost of getting all of those items, products to the shelves because of of how much the trucking costs have have gone up. You know, the shipping costs because of the cost of gas and diesel. All of which is specifically and intentionally the fault of Joe Biden, who made it very, very clear what he was going to do. And I play these these uh, sound bites all the time of him saying, we are going to end fossil fuels. We are going to attack fossil fuels. We're going to make sure that nobody, uh, you know, has an opportunity to uh, 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 to use gas anymore. We're going to make sure we're going to force people into EVs. No more drilling, no more oil, no more, you know, coal and so forth. All of these things that have, have had a huge impact. The minute he signed uh, the um, uh, ending of the construction of the of the uh, of the uh, pipeline, the Keystone XL pipeline, the minute he signed that, the minute he signed off on uh, ending drilling in the Gulf, the minute they signed off on ending fracking and all of the other things that they done, they condemned the middle class of the American population to uh, struggles. People who could afford the same amount of food and the clothing for the kids at the start of the school year and, you know, maybe even put some away for the rainy day fund and so forth. Now can't. Rainy day fund goes empty. Kids, make do with your older clothes. Food, we it, it costs so much more to have now. Gas to get to and from work. I mean, I'm not telling anybody anything they don't know if you're middle class. I know this very well. I've been through this many, many times, and we still go through it. You do a budget. Now, whether you write it out or whether you just kind of know your figures in your head, monthly, this is what it's going to cost for the groceries. This is how much we have outlay. Here's the income. Here's what my check is. Here's what the wife's check is and so forth. We put our, put our money together and say, here's how much we can afford for groceries. Here's what the electric bill is going to be. Here's what the heating bill is going to be. Here's what the water bill is going to be. Here's what the insurance premiums are going to be. Here's what the mortgage payment is or the rent payment is. Here's what the car payment is. Here's how much gas it's going to take. And and on down the line. And every single month under the Biden administration, each of the figures that you have there that are malleable and movable have shrunken. The things you cannot move 
have to be done, the cost of the rent, the cost of the mortgage, the cost of the insurance premiums, all of those things are static. They can't move. You have to pay those, which means then with everything else costing more, you have to make strategic decisions. Sorry, kids, there's no vacation fund. Sorry, kids, uh, there's no trip to Kalahari. Sorry, kids, we're not doing any of the things that we might like to have done because it costs more just to feed you and clothe you. And nobody's talking about it. Nobody's talking about it at the debates. Nobody's talking about it in the in in the prime time. Prime time. There may be some people who are tweeting about it. I told you yesterday. NBC did a survey about it, but they're not they're not telling the truth about who and what is responsible for all of this. It is Biden administration and Democrat Marxist parties. Uh, decision-making, their policies are responsible for this. And that's what last night's debate and every debate should focus on. Not about policy differences between one another. All right, I'll be back. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know... And do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. You know, that's what I mean. Why aren't they doing these debates and holding Biden's feet to the fire? Welcome to hour number three. It's nine minutes after after uh, 11 o'clock on this 28th morning of the ninth month, the year of our Lord, 2023. I play these for you on a fairly regular basis because I want you to never forget why we are where we are. Why gas is three sixty nine a gallon. Why the national average... Is three eighty seven a gallon, three eighty eight now maybe. Um, I I don't want anybody making any misunderstanding or having any misunderstandings here. This should be played at the b- debate. Governor DeSantis, Governor Haley, Vice President Pence, all of you people on that stage. The current president of the United States came into office saying this. You don't have to agree, but I want you to look in my eyes. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. We're going to end fossil fuel, and I am not going to cooperate with you, okay? Tell us what the impact on energy prices that policy has done, please. Why don't they focus their attention on the real enemy here, which is the Marxist Democrat uh, Democrats uh, that are ruining this country? Would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking, in a Biden administration? No, it would be, we, would, we would work it out. We would make sure it's eliminated. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. I guarantee you, 
we're going to end fossil fuel. What about, say, stopping fracking and stopping yeah. new pipeline infrastructure? Yeah. And, new pipeline. And, and, exactly. and no more, no new fracking. We are going to get rid of fossil fuels. I've argued against any more oil drilling or gas drilling on federal lands. No one's going to build a coal-fired plant again, and we're going to get rid of the ones we have now. Have a transition from the oil industry, yes. Would you be willing to sacrifice some of that growth even knowing potentially that it could displace thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of blue-collar workers in the interest of transitioning to that greener economy? The answer is yes. <laughs> and he stood last night, uh, not he, uh, he stood two days ago with those uh, UAW strikers telling them about how much he is for the blue-collar workers. Last night, Trump was with those same individuals. Different story. Let me give you one more real quick, though. I want to stop all drilling on the East Coast and the West Coast and in the Gulf. That means all of it. All of it. All for this EV fantasy. All to continue to destroy America's ability to provide its own energy, thus making us dependent on our global quote-unquote partners. That's what globalists do, and that's what he is doing, and why isn't that being talked about at Republican debates? I want somebody to explain that to me, how these policies, you know, you heard in the, in, in the one in the montage there that I played, you know, you're talking about we're going to build no more, you know, coal-fired power plants. Well, coal-fired plants don't just exist in the United States. If the goal of this is because of climate change, if the goal of this is because um, we have to stop global, global warming and there's too much carbon in the atmosphere, so we have, to stop, we have to stop burning coal, so we have to stop coal-fired plants, we stop mining for coal, we've got to stop drilling for oil, we've got to stop fracking for natural gas, you act as if we control the planet. First of all, we don't. The planet controls us. Secondly, if you do think that we as human beings control the planet, what makes you think that one nation on all of the planet's surface can counteract the actions of all of the other nations combined? Because the people in India and the people in China, the two biggest polluters in the world, the two biggest populations as well, they're not stopping. They're continuing to build coal-fired plants. They're continuing everything. So the only thing you're doing by tilting at these windmills, use that any way you wish, the only thing you're doing by saying that we're going to stop the, the, the complete climate cycle that the planet is under with our own activities uh, is if human beings could do that, if they united around the globe, which they cannot, but if, even, if, even if you felt like they could, you're not even there. You're just one country, and you cannot convince the other countries to do a damn thing. Well, we had the Paris Climate Accords. Yeah, and guess who violated them? <laughs> the biggest polluters in the world. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. They have an energy grid, an electric grid, that cannot even handle summers because people turn on their conditioners all at the same time. they got to have rolling brownouts just to conserve so that they can actually provide, the grid can provide electricity, you know, around the clock. 
different people in different areas have to turn them off in the in the hottest climates that we have. And you expect the grid, no matter how much it is it is ramped up, you expect the grid to be able to handle millions upon millions upon millions of 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 uh, internal combustion engine cars being replaced by EVs, and everybody coming home at night and plugging those things in, and everybody on trips stopping and they have two hours to sit at a, at a at a at a charging station as opposed to ten minutes, and that's going in for a soda and using the bathroom while your uh, tank is filling up. I mean, honestly, this, this push, why, aren't, why are they not talking about this, this EV mandate that's coming? This entire, you know, the, the greatest threat that our country faces today is white supremacy and climate change. And all of that crap. Do you know how much carbon is in the atmosphere? Do you really know? Everybody's talking about carbon emissions. Carbon, carbon, carbon. Carbon's going to kill us all. Carbon, 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 carbon. Most people don't have any clue. Hey, Seth, how much carbon is in the atmosphere, would you say? What percentage of all of the gases that make up our air and our atmosphere, what what percentage of it do you think is carbon, which is what the great enemy is, according to the the left? I'm going to go with uh, 3%. 3%. Be pretty pretty good guess. Most people guess around five or six or seven percent. I even saw a survey of this one time, which is why I know the the number. And people were guessing in that area. The actual amount of carbon that is in the air is zero point zero four percent. Not not four percent. Zero point zero four percent. Four one hundredths parts per million. Okay. According to scientists who study this stuff, at 0.02, plant life begins to die. You understand that? We have a massively green world right now because of the amount of carbon that is in the atmosphere. Because it allows plant life to grow. And they want to cut it. From 0.04 to where? 0.03? Then 0.02, where plant life begins to die? What the hell are they even thinking about? Most people don't know that. But the gangrene people want to continue to glue their hands and feet to, to, to artwork to stop it. And to, and to roadways to stop carbon. It's It's impossible. To justify any of this. And why aren't we telling that? Why are we talking about that on the debate stages? When you have a command audience, when you have more people watching than you would ever have in another, and you'd have a lot more if Trump would show up, by the way, why are we talking about that? Telling the truth to stop this ridiculous green energy initiative. We focus on the things that don't matter. <sighs> BJ's in North Olmstead. BJ, thanks for your patience. I appreciate it. Go ahead, sir. What I saw up there were a bunch of marionettes that are controlled by puppeteers. No matter who gets into office, there's a bigger force that's running this government, and it's the money people. And when we realize that's the truth, I'd like to play a couple what-if games. What if all these immigrants that are trying to come into this country were sent to a state that is pretty much barren, and they rebuild that state? 
So if we put them there and they know they're going to have a job when they come here, they can rebuild. We've got a lot of space in this country. We could take on four or five million people very easily in different states that are barren. Let them build those states up. There's materials there. There's skills. They could learn and trade if those people want to come here. But if they come here, they should know that they're going to be put to work in some some uh, very spacious place like Montana or Arizona or wherever there's a lot of land. And we have plenty of that here. But the truth of the matter is the money system controls this government. The money system controls this world. If there were elections that were by draft, in other words, like you do with jury duty, I wonder what our Congress would look like if people were just drafted and had to serve a two-year term. What kind of government would we have? There's a lot of what-ifs in life, life. And in my coming soon, my 93rd year, I've seen a lot of changes in this country. But ultimately, when there's a war, if it's a war like it was in World War II, people came together. They don't come together now. And the awakening that I've talked about, the Creator, is giving us an awakening right now with all the disasters with weather. The awakening, we're not paying attention to it. But it is the money system, always has been the money system, and always will be the money system that controls the puppeteers that call themselves politicians. Thank you for your time, and okay. good luck. Thank, thank you, BJ, for the call. Um, to your first point about um, we have a lot of space in this country. We have a lot of room. And if people, we could bring in you know four or five million people. Well, we've already brought in six million people in the last two and a half years since Biden took office. That's six million that we know about, not counting the 1.75 million gotaways that we know about, and that doesn't count the number of gotaways we don't know about. But they don't want to go to those open spaces you're talking about, where the soil is, is, is rich and the opportunities are plentiful. They're all packing into the cities. Why? Because it's already done. All of the things that would need to be built have been built, so they just want to go take advantage of the work that other people have done. They don't want to come here to work, which is the difference between this invasion and the invasion that idiots like ADC, that's AOC for some people, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I call her ADC because she's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She is exactly that. But that's the difference between... Uh, this, you know, this mass immigration to the United States and what happened, uh, you know, uh, about a couple of couple of centuries ago. Listen to what this idiot said of when it comes to people coming to New York City today are nothing. I'm telling you nothing compared to the daily amounts of people that we saw coming in from through Ellis Island in the first half of this century, you know, more than 12 million immigrants that passed through Ellis Island between 1892 and 1954. And we had seen just huge numbers of people coming in per day that, ha- that far, eclipsed, um, far eclipsed what we're seeing right now. Elon Musk trolled her, by the way. That was uh, something she posted. And Elon Musk trolled her on Twitter and just said, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is just not that smart. He's right, of course, because did you did you notice what she said? 12 million immigrants came through Ellis Island. By the way, the reason I'm bringing this up is because of what BJ just said. 
people coming here, if they know when they come here, they're going to be put to work. The people who came here between 1892 and 1954, she's talking about, and before that, all of the people who came here knew they were coming for an opportunity and that they would work. They came here with a mindset, I'm going to work, and I'm going to earn, and I'm going to create my space, I'm going to achieve my dream, I'm going to have freedom and opportunity. They came here to embrace all of those things, knowing they would have to work for it. That's the reason I brought it up. But to the numbers, she said more than 12 million passed through Ellis Island between 1892 and 1954. She said that's so much more than even, not even close to anything that's going on right now. Really? Help me do the math. Between 1892 and 1954 is how many years? I already did it. It's 62 years. 62 years. She's talking about 12 million immigrants coming coming through in 62 years. We have had 7.5 million in just two years. And she said that that was far more of an immigration push that we are experiencing right now she is every bit as daft as her nickname alexandria damasio cortez suggests that she is and secondly those people came here to work the people who are coming here now are coming here to absorb to absorb resources things that are already available they are just coming and taking how do we know look at since she brought it up new york city there's a video that's going viral right now of a, of a reporter who was trying to go into the Roosevelt Hotel who was stopped by armed guards. He said, what are you doing? He said, you can't go in there. I might be able to play it for you after the bottom. But basically said, you can't go in there. Wasn't this the Roosevelt Hotel? No, this is no longer a hotel. That has been taken over by illegal aliens in every one of the 1,025 rooms that that hotel has, as well as those sleeping in the hallways and in the lobby and around it. And it has been protected and funded by the federal government. First, the New York government, and yes, they will be made whole by the federal government. And they have guards there. They have also overtaken the neighboring restaurants that are next door to the hotel because they're providing all of the food. All of this at a cost of roughly $75 million per year to you and me, the taxpayers who are going to, who are going to pay those bills. These people are coming here and taking a plot of land and some of that wide open space BJ was just talking about. They're coming to the big cities and they're taking over and they just are here to absorb. What resources can you give me? We need education. Gimme, 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 gimme. We need health care. Gimme, 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 gimme. We need roof. We need housing. Gimme, 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 gimme. We need food. Gimme, 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 gimme. Give me everything that you can give me because we broke into the United States and some idiot told us all we had to do was say, Asylum. I'm seeking. I, I seek asylum. Well, asylum from what? Just uh, asylum. I, I I claim asylum. Okay. Here's your house, or here's your your room. Here's your food, and on and on and on it goes. I'm sorry. I get very very frustrated with all of this. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two a one eleven ten. I'll come right back. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob Prance. 
on The Answer. So if you, you or me, if, if I or we <clears throat> needed any more aggravation over everything that I just talked about, um, then you've got this. This is the leader of our party on the Senate side. This is Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. I don't know if you heard this yet or not, but, uh, yeah. Providing assistance for the Ukrainians to defeat the Russians. That's the number one priority for the United States right now, according to most Republicans. Did you hear that? You know what the number one priority of the United States is right now? It's not to take care of our own people. It's not the rampant crime waves that are running throughout all of our cities. It's not to secure our border, which is being crossed by drug dealers, cartel members, human traffickers, weapons traffickers. It's none of those things. The number one priority for the United States of America. Providing assistance for the Ukrainians to defeat the Russians. That's what he said. Inflation, energy costs, $33 trillion in debt, $2 trillion operating budget deficit. Nope, 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 nope. None of those things. It's giving money to Ukraine. That's our number one priority of the United States, says one of the two most powerful men in the Senate. Just throwing that out there. TJ, Cleveland, fire away, TJ. Yeah, hi, Bob. You know, I watched about a half hour, and I couldn't take any more. I had to turn it off. You're smarter you know, than me. Debate. But, you know, uh, I'm not, I don't proclaim to be a political science expert. But if I was DeSantis, what I would do, I would not attack Trump. Because, like you said, that would just destroy him with the uh, uh, only Trumpers. I'd take the opposite approach. I would praise Trump. I would say, look, he had a great first term, and he deserves a second term. But there's a possibility he will not be allowed to run in the general election because of uh, uh, these indictments or health or, or, or for some other reason. And if that happens, we're going to need somebody out of the bullpen to step up to save, save the game, and I'm the guy to do it. And that would endear him with the Trump people and the MAGA people, and it would set him in a catbird seat for a possible 2028 run. Uh, but that's what I would do. And like I said, I'm no political science expert. I don't know if it would work or not, but yeah. that's just strictly my I, opinion. I appreciate the point, but but here's the reason it won't, TJ, and thank you for the call. Keep listening. Is because Hello? Trump, yeah, 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 thanks, TJ, for the call. Can you hear me? Yeah, okay. Uh, we're done with that call anyway, but I'm going to respond to what you said, TJ. So make sure you keep listening here. It's too late for that because Trump has already poisoned it. He has, he has already declared Ron DeSantis to be the enemy he has praised Charlie Crist as being better than DeSantis. He praised Andrew Cuomo, who was run out of the governor's mansion, Democrat, in New York, as being better than Ron DeSantis. He has lied about Ron DeSantis. He has demonized Ron DeSantis and poisoned the well water against him so much that every only Trumper has already declared Ron DeSantis is done. Persona non grata. They'll never support him. Never. Not in a million years will they support him. They've said that, not even in 2028, because they, because Trump branded DeSantis's campaign as being disloyal. It's disloyal to me because I endorsed him 
in Florida, and so therefore, how dare you come and try to take the job that should be mine? He's disloyal. So millions of warped people in their mind think that loyalty is a prerequisite. Loyalty to Trump is a prerequisite for getting any of them to support him. Meanwhile, Donald Trump, who did, you're right, did a phenomenal job in the first three years of his first term, has no earthly idea what the word, word loyalty means. He has thrown so many of his former allies under the bus that, that loyalty is something that it's, it's a rumor for Donald Trump. But he expects blind loyalty and how dare you run against me. He has tried to destroy Ron DeSantis, not just his campaign, but his career. You understand that? His career. And so what DeSantis has done for the last, you know, 10 months or so has been to essentially not want to alienate the base, not want to make things any worse. And he's accepted almost all of the attacks with very, very, very little response. And it hasn't worked because he saw his poll numbers go, you know, he saw what was a 20-point deficit to Donald Trump become a 40-point deficit as Trump's went up and his went down because he didn't fight back. It looks weak. And I think it's time for him to fight back. And I'll be honest with you. Because Donald Trump is almost certainly going to win and be the nominee, I want him to be tested a little bit. If DeSantis fights back, you know that you notice that the only person on that debate stage that was actually going after Trump was Chris Christie, who's a nobody. Nobody else will attack him. Nobody else will could will question him. And it's part in part because of the massive circling of the wagons that we as conservatives have kind of done around Donald Trump because of the attacks he's getting from the left. Since he's getting attacked from the left with phony indictments and all of the other crap they're doing to him, they feel like if they go after him, they're going to anger the Trump base. And so they won't go after him at all. And it just smacks of weakness. It's time for somebody to step up and say, I need him to answer for this, 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 and this in a primary setting because he's going to have to answer them in a, in a general election setting. He's got a lot. He's going to have a lot of people he's going to have to convince who are not part of the MAGA crowd who are only Trumpers. They're middle of the roaders who are going to have to decide, do they want to go back to more of Biden-Harris or do they want to go back to Trump? And he's going to have to, he's going to, have to campaign for them. He doesn't have to campaign for the MAGA votes. They're there, locked in, ready to go. And that's fine. But he's not going to be tested and ready unless he actually has to answer questions. So far, the only tough questions he was ever asked was from Megyn Kelly. And guess what? He fumbled multiple times in that conversation. Can a man become a woman? <laughs> yeah, you know, you know. He he laughed because he couldn't. He wouldn't say it because they don't want to tick off Bruce Jenner, who's his buddy and supporter. The pro life movement that he was so behind when he, was, he became the first sitting president to actually attend the March for Life, which was phenomenal. He just threw pro lifers under the bus last week in the interview with Kristen Welker on MSNBC or on uh, NBC. He's got things to answer for. And so DeSantis, to me, needs to press him. He needs to press him. Even if he doesn't win, meaning DeSantis, he's going to make Trump sharper and better to win the general. And that's something that you and I and every American should be pushing for. 
for somebody to win the general that's not Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Gavin Newsom, or Michelle Obama. Whoever comes out of this Republican field, which again, it's 99.5% sure it's going to be Trump, is going to have to be positioned to win. And he's not going to be positioned to win by doing nothing but sitting home on Truth Social waiting for his trials. He's going to have to actually establish some policies, explain some of the things that he said that make him look very different than he looked four years ago. He's going to have to do that to win a general election. If he has a path to victory, and that's questionable, it's going to come down to what it came down to before, Pennsylvania and Michigan and Arizona, it's in Wisconsin. It's going to be very, very narrow, and he's going to have to convince a lot of people in those states to come for him to win this thing. And again, that doesn't happen by not testing yourself and not putting yourself in the line of fire at the primary stage. Charlie, uh, you're on AM 1420 of the answer. Go ahead, Charlie. Hey, Bob. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, I did watch the debate. Uh, very poorly moderated, I thought. Uh, the only thing that interested me, the moderator that was from the Hispanic background, she said we still only have 11 million uh, illegal Oh, I know. Saying that for 20, 25 years, I go millions, millions come in, and we're still at eleven million. It's, well, just the six, just the six. All we need to know is, and they just marked this uh, like four, four, four days ago. Um, six million. They just crossed the six million threshold of known encounters. Uh, uh, on this side of the border since Biden was inaugurated. So if you just forget about all of the others, they've been saying, you're right, 11 million for all of these years. Take 11 million and add these six, and we're at 17, and they're still saying 11 million, 11 million. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.